Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. You know, it's humbling to be up here and think that you can sing like Tony. You just, he's going for it, that's uh, moving, things are happening, and I just, I go for that moment, and it's just, <coughs> God humbles you right in front of all your friends. But thankfully, the mic's not on, and um, if it was, I'm sorry. So, no, we've, we've started a series in the book of John. We've, we've been looking and exploring and, and really beginning uh, this process, and And last week have introduced this idea that we're going to be journeying through the book of John, the gospel of John together in an effort to to grow up, to grow our faith, to grow our our life, to grow our our spiritual maturity. We're not going to look to the self-help books of the world. We're not going to look at five steps to have a more mature you, but we're going to look at God's word and allow it to conform us and and shape us and mold us in the process. In an effort to see Jesus more clearly, we're looking to the very source of truth. And there's no better place to look than the book of John. See, John is, is, and again, we're not talking about uh, John the Baptist. We'll talk about him. He's in the book of John. But this is written by the disciple John. and, 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 And John had this, obsession with clear, clarifying, my words are not working this morning, clarifying Jesus. I mean, constantly, you see it in his, in his writings. He, he wrote the book of John. He was really creative with his title. He wrote the book of Revelation, uh, but that, if you read the subtext, is a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that's all about Jesus. It's not an apocalyptic book. It's, a, it's, a, it's an unveiling of who Jesus is. And then he wrote later in his life, at the very end of life, he's an old sage, a a man of wisdom, and he had been through all kinds of terrible stuff. He had been isolated and and put out on Patmos. That's where he wrote Revelation. And and then he comes back and he hears people talking about Jesus. He hears these rumors coming out of the church about who they believe Jesus to be and what Jesus is like. And he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John as kind of a rebuke to say, listen, I don't care what you think about Jesus. Let me tell you who Jesus is. And the reason I can say it is because I was there. I know the guy. You know, it's like, it's like somebody telling you, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to make fun of anything. So, It's like, no, I know it's true. I, I know what he's like. I've, I've been around him. I've seen him. I've, I've smelled him. I've, 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 been all, I've been involved in this process. Like, you can't tell me he's not real. I was there. He's not some spirit. He, he was real. And John had this, this obsession with just clarifying, no, this is real about Jesus. Let me, let me tell you about this Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had all been written. And then he goes, there's still more to be said. You need to understand that Jesus wasn't just a a, a servant. Jesus wasn't just the son of man. Jesus was God incarnate. And he was the very God who was from the beginning. 
Because he opens this book by saying, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And we talked about that last week, that, 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 that the logos was far more than the word word. It, it, was, it was a word that meant so much more, a rich word about, about speaking to original design and intent, that, that Jesus was the very pinnacle of creation. That he, was the, that he was the author of all things and he was, he was in the beginning and all of this. And, and, we, and we talked all about it. I almost just re-preached the whole thing. He's the pre-existent original design and the source of life. And, and as much as I wanna continue to move on and we're gonna jump in next week to some awesome content, I, I just feel compelled this week to kind of double down here. Because see, today I wanna talk about people's perceptions of reality and how that can affect the way you interact with the world around you. And, and especially as it pertains to how you see and treat Jesus. I had a friend once, an acquaintance that, that uh, was flying into Nashville. And this acquaintance, this friend was, was raised in uh, Las Vegas, the holy city. I just realized this is, that's where uh, Heather's from. Um, no, he's from Vegas, and then he got the good fortune of moving from Vegas to L.A., and that's where he grew up. What a treat, and uh, that's why you moved to Nashville. But he came to Nashville, and, he, and we picked him up at night, and uh, it was probably, I don't know, 7 o'clock or so, it was dark out. So, and we're driving around, and he just had this bewildered look on his face. Like the whole time, you know, it's like, oh, that's downtown and we're heading south on 65, heading towards, uh, I think we we're going to, toward Brentwood at the time. And, and, uh, and he just was like stunned. Like, what's going on? This is, this isn't right. It's like, dude, you just got here. You haven't even seen anything. We haven't even like gone anywhere, you know? And, and he was just, you could tell he was like troubled. And this wasn't a joke. Like I thought it was a joke. This was not a joke. And, and we're driving and I finally have to call it out. Like, dude, what, what's wrong? Like, I haven't even shown you anything. We're just driving down the, the highway. And he goes, dude, I feel so stupid. I, I, I can't believe, like my whole life, I heard of the South, I heard of Tennessee. And I, I did not know there was gonna be asphalt roads. <laughs> and I'm like, Bother, like I'm, I'm embarrassed that I thought so little of Nashville that I didn't even, I was expecting to be driven around on dirt roads through the, and I went, who told you that? Like, like who, who, like, do you know there's like the internet and stuff, like pictures, like who, who told you that, that we didn't have roads here? Like, and, and in all sincerity of heart, that it was real. They, he really had believed that he was coming to a city that didn't have driveways and stuff. And so imagine how that affected the way he packed. <laughs> About the way he interacted. Like when he, I'm like, where did you think the plane was gonna land? <laughs> but the, there's this whole problem where, where, where his his false idea, his bad idea, turned into a false belief and led him to start acting out of, out of, out of brokenness. He, it was a total ignorance. 
And likewise, I think it's so interesting that the very first thing that God says to Adam and Eve in the garden, when they realize they're naked and they're ashamed and they're covering and hiding, he looks at their brokenness. He looks at them, he says, hey, where are you guys? And they say, well, we're, we're here, but we're, we're ashamed. We're naked and we need to be covered. And he said, what? Who told you that? You see, because a bad idea that turns into an embraced belief will lead you down a road of broken behavior. And so all of a sudden, if we have one bad idea back here that we embrace as a broken belief, it will lead us into a life of destructive behavior. And beloved, I believe this is happening in the body of Christ on a regular basis because we're not rooting our belief in truth we're rooting our belief in our feels and therefore it's, it's destructively embracing this belief and then it's leading us down a broken behavior and a pattern of, of, of cyclical brokenness. And we wonder why we don't see revival come. We wonder why we don't see, see, see uh, awakening in the church and revival in the land. Could it be that we have a broken view of who God is? And, and that we've embraced this thing. Maybe, I mean, way, way back somewhere, we just, we grabbed a hold of this idea that Jesus is like this, but the problem is, is like he's not. Because we heard somebody or we listened to somebody. And instead of being like the Bereans of Acts chapter 17, who heard the word of truth and then validated it in the scriptures, we just take it on as though it's true and right and good forever. Y'all, there are people today, I know this sounds crazy, that are selling a bill of goods about Jesus. They're taking ideas that align more with their own heart and their own, their own uh, uh, emotions and they're putting back Bernard, they're, they're getting rid of the, the truths about who he really is. If, if Jesus says hard things that challenge your life, you shouldn't question Jesus you should question yourself. Why is it bothering me that Jesus is asking this of me? Why, does it, why, is it, why is it confounding me? I shouldn't be questioning, is Jesus really that way? No, he couldn't be that way. Instead, I'll just choose to believe my heart. But the problem is, is the scripture says this, that your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. And you need a new heart and an exchange of heart. That's what Jesus affords you. Jesus gives you that. But the more you embrace the wickedness of your own belief, the more you're going to fall prey to this idea of believing something that's just untrue, embracing it as reality and letting it conform you into the image of this world. And instead, the book of John is gonna drive us to behold him in clarity and truth. You can't deny what the gospel say. If you do, you're probably just in the wrong church. That, that we have got to embrace what the truth of the gospel is, whether we feel it or not. And I think the reality is, is the more we see him, the more in his presence is a fullness of joy. Like we're gonna find that there's joy in the house of the Lord, that there's joy in his presence, that it's a beautiful thing, but it's gonna take some, some moments of going, hey, that doesn't fit anymore. Well, I'm gonna to have to be honest with myself about that. So today I wanna dive in, double down 
on this idea that Jesus expresses fully and totally, really John expresses that Jesus is the divine son of God. And I know for some of us, you're going, Ian, we've been Christians forever. We've always embraced that. But, but I would just tell you, this is a refresher to, to remind us that either, again, when I said earlier, this is all that matters or it matters not at all. Like, like if Jesus is God and he said the kind of things he said, it should reorient every aspect of our life. It, it, it should change the way we prioritize every single thing we do. That, that Jesus being Lord, Jesus being sovereign king of the universe should change us. And he made no bones about it. He was clear about who he was. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Y'all, if you, were, if you had any question about if Jesus said these things, like, well, Jesus didn't say he was God. Like, that is an ex- a, a direct example of him saying it. Exodus 3.14 said, and God said to Moses, all the, all the Pharisees would have been extremely familiar with this. I am who I am. That's my name. And thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. He, he's saying to them, you want to know my name? I'm telling you, I am. That was the name he used to describe himself to the, to the people of Israel, so to, to Moses. And that's what, how Moses would describe him to the people of Israel. So when Jesus makes this declaration that, that I am is, is, is my name, then he's ex, ex, expressly saying, I am the same God who, who was at the burning bush. I am the same God who was all throughout the Old Testament. I am the root and foundation of, of the Judeo God, the, the, the God of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That I am, I am. And what do they do? They take up rocks to stone him in, in eight, uh, John 8, 59 and throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them. So passed by. Then we move on two chapters later in the book of John. John 10, 30 and 33, he said, I and my father are one. And then the Jews took up stones again. They just wanted to get this guy with a rock. Jesus answered them, many good works have I shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? This is like the drop, done, no questions asked. Jesus knows why they want to stone him. And Jesus is is absolutely confident why they want to stone him, but he's going to make them say it out loud. He's going to make them explain it. Why are you stoning me? For which of the works I have done are you throwing these rocks at me? And the Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. You see, Jesus being the divine son of God is the reason that the Jews wanted to kill him. Because blasphemy is is without question, no doubt about it, a way to get stoned. Leviticus 24, 16, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. So, so the Jews are hearing this man say the things that would signify and, 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 and provoke them to believe that he thinks he's God. 
Leviticus says if somebody blasphemes God, and that means like you say you are, but you're not him, that you have to kill him. So they think they're being righteous. And Jesus is actually saying, I am God because like I am God. So I, I know that's not that complicated, but I'm excited about it. But he establishes himself, or, or the definition of, of blaspheme is to establish oneself as or to slander in the name of. And, and, and so they're saying, listen, without question, these two pictures in the book of John that John is highlighting to us is without question telling us that Jesus believes he's God, that the people around him believe he thinks he's God, and that he's then going to to give us this. So all that is just kind of an underpinning of where we're going today, because I wanna then look at, at, at all the applicational ways that Jesus describes himself throughout the rest of the scripture, at least in the book of John. That as we explore the book of John, we need to realize that Jesus believed it. He was God. He said he was God. He was was very clear about that. But then we want to look at all the other places. And it just so happens that there are seven I am statements that Jesus makes about himself in the book of John. And, And these need to reorient and recalibrate the way we believe about him. Because if we don't, then we run the risk of of allowing that bad belief to develop into an embraced belief that that then leads into a destructive pattern of behavior. See, the first thing Jesus declares about himself is he says, I am the bread of life. John 6, 35 and 51, it says this, that Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 51, and I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. I mean, y'all, I don't know how long it's been since you were in Sunday school, but it's like, Again, think back and, and, and just in your own life, process this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I, I've given my life, my flesh is the bread of life and I've given it for the world. It, it, it's, it's so natural. It, it, he's hitting this, this real carnal need that we all have. This story takes place right after Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a Lunchable. And then he leaves. He walks on water. He gets to the other side. They have all these experiences. And the next morning, people run around to find him. They run up to him and they, they, the, 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 the masses show up on his doorstep again. And even though they're seeking Jesus, He calls them out and says, you're not seeking a sign. You're not looking for an experience with me. You're looking for a free meal. You're looking for bread, for for natural satisfaction. Something that's gonna fill you up temporarily, but leave you wanting in the long run. He tells them you're hungry for the wrong stuff. You're led by your belly but I am the bread of life. 
all nourished and satisfied, the deepest places of your life. But the question is, do we just wanna be naturally filled? Do we just want our life to be naturally comfortable? Do we just want our life to be naturally all put together? Or do we want spiritual satisfaction that will transcend our experience? You see, that's a different kind of bread. That's a different kind of longing. And that's, that's what I think fasting does, right? That's what, that's what fasting creates in our life is this reality check that I am not, I'm not satisfied with bread alone. I, I can't be nourished and fully satisfied. Like, like I'm sure we could bring the, the wealthiest people in the world up here. You know, they probably wouldn't come to church, but... We could bring them all up here and say, hey, does having billions of dollars in the bank account make you satisfied? I promise you the answer is gonna be no. I promise you they're gonna go, no, honestly, there's something more I'm looking for. If Bono said it, how could they not? But the bread of life, do we ever consider that? Do we ever just stop down in our mornings before we're making our schedule for the week and say, wait a second, am I looking to get satisfied in the wrong places this week? Am I looking to the wrong parts of my life to fill me and nourish me and give me life? Or am I prioritizing and even placing pieces of my schedule and my time and my energy to get filled up and nourished by the king? Am I, am I actually gonna do something different or am I just gonna hear it and then continue on my life as usual? We've got to at some point decide if Jesus really is the bread of life, then how are we treating that? How are we experiencing that? How are we embracing that? How are we allowing him to be the nourishment and satisfaction of our everyday life? He goes on to then say in John 8, uh, verse 12, another statement about himself. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. An example of that is the next chapter in John 9, 5. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received sight. He's asking a blind man. They're asking him, how did you get sight? And he said, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and now I see. That Jesus is in fact the one who takes blind men and shows them how to see. That, that, that can mean absolutely physical blindness now being able to see but it much more deeply and, and far more reaching means that Jesus takes the, the blinders off of our life to see that which is real and really matters. You know, it, it, it's so easy to allow our culture to dictate to us the priorities of our life. Get the good job, save up the money, get three months. No, I'm just kidding. Of a emergency fund. No, that's Ramsey. So, the world tells us, like, get to the top, make it to the best, get the best house, keep up with the Joneses, make sure you're, you're this and that, and make sure your kids are on this team, and do this thing, and be here, and blah, 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 blah. But the reality is, Jesus says, let me be a light to your life. Let me show you what really matters. Let me identify and illuminate to you 
what actually matters in this world. And, and, and the reality is, it's not what they say it is. And so Jesus is the one who opens up our eyes to see because he is the light. So not only is he the substance of our life, but he takes a step further. He says, I'll be the light for your life. Not only will I sustain you, but I'll show you where to go. Y'all, we've got to take this stuff seriously. I mean, I can't tell you in my own life as a pastor, this is confession time, how many times I go, I, I got to figure this out without first going to Jesus and saying, you're the light of my life. You, this is your church. You show me where to go. I'm not moving until you illuminate the way. But, but it's so easy in our life to go, no, I've got to figure this out. I have nowhere to go. I'm a man. I'm, 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 I'm proud of it. I'm whatever. It's like, no, he is the way. He's the, he's the light. He, he's the source. He's the only option we have. But how often we forget to remember this. We have a light. We have eyes to see. So why do we walk around in darkness so much? You know, it'd be like walking around, uh, you know, a new building and forgetting like we have to turn the lights on. I mean, think about that. If we moved in this building and you guys came for the first time and it was just pitch black in here. You're like, this seems odd. Y'all didn't pay for lights? Nobody thinks that now, but right? You'd go, nobody, nobody got a light to turn on so we could see each other. It's like, we have a light. It's installed. You just have to flip the switch. Like some of us need to flip the switch and stop being the light to our own path and allow him to be the light he promised to be. All right, he goes on. In John verse 10. And he says, and Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See these next two, he goes on, I'll, I'll give this one away. He's, he says next, I'm the good shepherd, but he says, I am the door to the sheep. He's giving these instructions. He's saying, listen, if you come uh, any other way, if you, if you climb up the side and you try to jump in, that means you're a wolf. That means you're, 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 you're there with wrong purposes. But I am the door to the sheep. I, I'm the, I'm the, I am the way through into the sheep. I am the door. And, and this is a, a beautiful picture because again, I'm not a farmer, if you couldn't tell. It's a late one there. But back in these days, they'd have corrals set up and, and they would get their sheep in the corral and the shepherd would lay in the doorway of the corral as to not let anything in or out that didn't pass through him first. That's what it means as he's gonna say in a minute, I'm the good shepherd. He's saying, I'm not just the shepherd though, I'm the very door that is going to, 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 to allow the filter by which you, things go out of your life and things that come into your life. The question is, do we acknowledge him as the door and do we embrace that reality? You see, he's saying, I, I lay here at night 
being a covering and a protection for you. I'm gonna be the filter by which I go, hey, that shouldn't go out of here or that shouldn't come into here. But we allow everything else to be our filter to life. I mean, when's the last time we took a measured approach and said, hey, I should not do that because it wouldn't bring glory to my life with Jesus. When's the last time that we, we use Jesus as the filter of that which should come in and out of our life? Like, I know you have liberty to do it, but is it good for your eternal soul? That's a question we ought to ask. And I'm telling you, I'm guilty of not asking it enough. Like, either this is all that matters or it doesn't matter at all. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm the, the door. I, I'm, I'm how things get in and things get out. And I love this piece. He says, I'm the, I'm the way by which you can access salvation and pastures. And I'm thinking about that, pastures. What does that mean? I mean, we, salvation, I think we can get a hold of. Pastures means the word itself and, and Greek means a place to be cared for. Think about that. Jesus says, listen, when you allow me to be the, the door of your life, when you allow me to be the door for the sheep, I will give you salvation and I'll provide a, a, a place where you can be fed, nurtured, and cared for in this life. A place where you can be protected as we're gonna see a minute in a minute as, as the good shepherd. A place where you can be free to grow up and to be you because he cares so much for us. And yet how many of us run out of the gate, jump over the fence, sneak out at night and try to find our own way to greener pastures? He says, I'm the way to this. If you want this, if you wanna experience it, this is the path. And yet we're going, yeah, 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 but I'll see you later. And we run off again and again. And he goes, okay, okay, here we go. I'll come get you again. Yep, you broke your leg, didn't you? You know, it's like, because what? He goes on to say in the next I am statement, John 10, 11, and 14, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and, and am known by my own. Y'all think about this. Like this doesn't need a preacher. This just preaches. The word just says it. The world is a hireling shepherd. The things of this world are a hireling shepherd. You think your money's gonna protect you? You think your address is going to define you? You think your bank account's gonna keep you safe? Hogwash, because the moment hard times come, they're out of here. They're gonna see that wolf coming and they're gonna go, bye, take care of yourself. I ain't got nothing for you. I, I, you know, we didn't have a good interest rate. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. We don't have it. We don't have anymore. I don't know what to tell you. You're on your own. But Jesus says, man, when the wolf comes, I'll die for you. Think about that. He 
saying you'll never be alone. You'll never be exposed. You'll never be unprotected. You'll never, ever, 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 ever go without because I am the good shepherd. I mean, come on, that should put some steel in our spine to live differently in this world. Sorry, I'm yelling at you today. One, one service got me fired up. But he gives his life for us. He goes on in John 11, 25 and 26, and he says, another time Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, come on somebody, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I mean, listen to what he's saying. And, and, and think about the, the, the eternal and natural ramifications of that. Think about what, what does it mean that Jesus, the, the word, the one that was from the beginning, that through all things were made, he looks upon humanity and our own brokenness. He looks upon the most devastating experience a human can have to lose somebody they love. He's talking to the sister of a man that just died. And he's saying, listen, if you know me, if you follow me, if you love me, if you let me be that shepherd of your life, you will never die. And that woman's going, I'm seeing my brother though. He's, we got a problem. She doesn't know he's about to say something to that. He's about to speak into that grave. But the truth is, is he's not saying that your body won't ever perish. There will be a time when everyone in this room goes to sleep, but the spirit of God in you will not let you die. You will live. You will embrace eternity and walk before the, the gates of heaven. And here, if you follow him, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy, embrace, inherit your rest. I mean, we gotta be a different kind of people. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. This reality gets more and more intimate and meaningful. Every time he says an I am statement, it goes from I'll sustain you to now I'll resurrect you. I mean, that's gotta change our everyday life. That's gotta change the way you approach tomorrow. That's gotta change the way we hunger and thirst for his righteousness. It, it should change the way we experience gathering in the, in the house of God. It should change the way we work. It should change the way we treat people. It should change the way we look upon this earth to know things are different because Jesus is the resurrection and the life for me. He goes on and he says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. It's almost begging to be, beginning to be comical in this, how, how he's, he's taking it from one thing and just every time he uses an I am statement, it's more and more specific, more and more intimate, more and more personal. You see, we look, or if we look anywhere else, 
to get satisfaction and nourishment or fulfillment in our lives. Yet it's so clear that he wants that one space. He says, I'm the way. I am the eternal truth. And I am the only place you're gonna find life. It's like, have you ever had that experience where where somebody's being too, uh, too general, so they have to kind of keep clarifying something. This happens with my kids a lot. I'm like, hey, it's your mom's birthday. You might want to go. They're like, what? <laughs> Tell her. What? It's your mom's birthday, so you might want to go sing her a song. It starts with... I want something from you. No, 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 no. Happy birthday. Tell her happy birthday. They're like, oh, mom, can I have five bucks? No, it's, it's like a father telling his kids, listen, I, I want you to understand something. I am the way for you. And we're like, uh-huh. I'm where you can find life. And then we're like, Okay, I'm not trying to say that we're dumb. I'm just saying that we're like sheep, that we're all like sheep. I'm not different. Like, I, I'm like a sheep. I hear God say these things and I'm like, yeah, but what, is that, what does that mean? And he's like, like, I'm literally the substance of your life. And it's like, uh-huh, but okay. That's what sheep do, Right? It's not like kids do. Kids are awesome. But, but he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's like he's finally just open up the heavens and just going, Let, just, I'm everything. I am it. I am all you need. Everything you can. Like, I don't just want to be here when you're desperate for me and when you're, when you're terrified of looking upon eternity without a, a savior. I don't just want to save you from your sins. I want to walk you through this life. I don't just want to be fire insurance for you. I don't just want to be some, you know, some distant God that gave you a ticket into eternity that can't stand you or doesn't want to be around you. I want to give you everything you need. I want to be in every part of your life. And he says, listen, the bottom line is this, that there is no other access to the Father except through me. That is not what the world wants you to believe, but it is true because it's here. There is not some mixed medley here of like wherever you grew up culturally, whatever God looked like there, that's how you can experience God, false. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody goes to the Father except through him. I didn't make that up. It's in the book. And then he finishes by saying this incredible statement in John 15. He's gone from telling us he's, he's bread, he's light, he's resurrection and life, and he's the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on in John 15, one and five, and he says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches, and he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And beloved, that has been a verse that has 
not haunted me, but it, it has been on me my entire adult life. As I've followed Jesus, as I've led in the church, as I've been a leader in the church, I've been keenly aware of this verse. And I think it's somewhere early on, somebody helped me see this and it just blows my mind. But, but he's, he's again, he's talking to, to, to people and he's going apart from me. If you detach from me without me, as separated from the vine of which I am, you can do nothing. It doesn't say that you can't do anything. And what shocks me about that verse, what what just gets me, what keeps me up at night is that I can do a whole lot of things that look Christian, but separated from the vine, it is nothing to God. You see, this verse reminds us beyond all things, especially for the Christians that have been Christian for a long time, who've been in church for a, a long time, who've been doing this for a long time. We need to remember that our heart posture is still the only thing seen in heaven. So even though we can show up to church on a snowy day, even though we can go serve the widows and orphans, even though we can take care of X, Y, and Z, even though we can be on every meal train that's ever existed on the planet, even though we can get our kids on all the sports teams, even though we can host the, be the chaplain of those teams, if we are separated from Jesus, it is nothing and so now it, 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 it takes what's this huge idea that I'm the resurrection of the life and reminds me that in every situation of my life, there is one thing required of me to stay connected to the vine that bears fruit through my life. So I don't wanna be the kind of person that performs Christian activities, but lacks Christian power. I don't wanna say things that help people with their itching ears, but lacks the authority of the truth. And so we've gotta be a people that are reminded that in every situation, in every way, we are to stay connected to him and, and remember that it is through him that power comes. It is through him and connectivity to him that, that everything else gets to, 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 to happen. That, that if we were, if we were thinking about, you know, looking at life in different ways and going, okay, where's the source of power coming from? Is it through my accomplishments? Is it through my, my Christian charity? Is it through my this or that? It's like, no, the only power source that's gonna get me anywhere in this life is the vine of life itself. And so how you are choosing to plug into that and, and embrace that and experience the great I am of your life being the vine of life. And this is true too, if you know anything about, about vine dressing, if you're connected to the vine and the father's the vine dresser, you better get ready to get pruned. Pruning is a part of living on the vine. If you don't like when God is giving you a correction, then you don't understand what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. Those that lack the humility to admit when there needs to be a change, lack the ability to be embraced in the kingdom of God. Your a willingness to submit to authority, your willingness to be, to be pruned and shaped and, 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 and cut back a little bit, Prune back so that you can grow better. If we're unwilling to do that, then y'all, we have no inheritance in the kingdom. Because he says, I'm the vine. My father is the vine dresser. 
And if you stay attached to me, even when it hurts, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't feel good, you can bear much fruit because without me, you can run on, you can do all the stuff and it'll be a whole lot of nothing. So beloved, I wanna do something. I wanna bear fruit. John has given us a comprehensive look at Jesus and his divinity and it should drive us to him like never before. It should cause us to fall down on our knees and worship. It should cause us to reorient our Monday. It should cause us to, to take heed to what he has said and be hungry for his word in a way that perhaps we haven't before. You see, thriving is taking ground. It's offensive attack. It's forward momentum. It's life to the fullest. It's not just survival. And Jesus tells us here when we're connected to him that we can thrive, we can bear fruit, not just receive from him, but become a difference maker in the process. You see, beloved, as, as he's given us this comprehensive look, we've gotta be concerned with what he says. We've gotta be concerned with what he says about himself. He doesn't wanna be your king on Sundays. He wants you to walk with him. He wants to lead you. He wants to nourish you. He wants to protect you. He wants to show you the way. He wants to redeem you. He wants to empower you and animate the very life that you're living. And it's time in the body of Christ that we let him. Because what would happen? What would the world look like if a room this size and all the people online and wherever we're watching from, if we all decided to dedicate ourselves to embracing this truth, we would see the world change overnight. And it's time for it. It's time to lean in and trust like never before. It's time for another encounter with Jesus. Amen, somebody? Father, we love you and we thank you for the moments that we share together. I pray that this word would take root in our soul and it would drive us to live differently tomorrow. That it would take us from being a person, a people that, that embrace the truth of who you are and, and want to step towards you, to running after you, to staying connected to you, to allowing you to be the nourishment of our soul and the vision of our life to be the resurrected hope of our reality that we might tell the world about who you are and why we're different. We bless you, God, and we honor you today and we surrender one more time in Jesus' name. Amen, church. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a fantastic week. Be safe out there.